But so let's go ahead and jump into the message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we just pray that this morning, God, as we wrap up this series, God, that it would not just be words that I'm speaking. God, it would not just be me up here preaching and people listening. But God, I pray that people would hear you. God, that this morning that their hearts would be opened and challenged and encouraged. And God, even for some, I pray that they'd be convicted and they walk out of here, God, and truly not want to be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in called The Greatest. And what I want to do real quick for the first just 10 minutes of this is kind of give you guys a recap of where we've been and what we've been talking about. So the main theme is something that we've been talking about, love God and love people. Now, the first week we actually talked about it is impossible to learn to love God until we understand Father's love for us. And we use this Hebrew word called Ahava, which means I'm not going anywhere. So God loves us no matter what. We talked about the first week. God loves you no matter how much you screw it all up. Okay, no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you wake up in the morning and you fight with your spouse or things just don't go well, God still loves you. And then the second week we talked about because of this great love that the Father has for us, what our response should be to that, that our response is that we should love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, that ultimately our lives should look like Jesus, should look like something that is, is altering and changing and wanting to become somebody who looks like Jesus. And then last week, my dad was here and we talked about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And if you notice this all throughout the first part of the message, he talked about um, that whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And he talked about how all of us in here love ourselves, right? Like, what do you do the first thing that you wake up in the morning? You love yourself, right? You, you make a cup of coffee. You love yourself. You, you go to the bathroom. You love, it's all about you. And basically what he talked about is this, that as much as you love yourself, as much as you take care of yourself, are you willing to do that for other people? But then there was also the flip side of that message, which was this, that it's easy to love people that love you, right? Like people that love you, it's easy for us to reciprocate love back to them. Now, the difficult part comes when people that don't love us, and we talked about loving our enemies. Now, why can we love our enemies? Because Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, why can we love our enemies? We all have to realize this, that once we were an enemy of Christ. Um, I pulled this verse up and it says Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So you, you have to realize this. The reason that we can extend grace to our neighbor and the reason that we can love our enemies is because every single person in this room, including myself, were once enemies of God. So that's why we can love our enemies. That's why Jesus can say, love your enemies, because you were once an enemy. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is this. The Father's love for us, and our love for the Father, and our love for our neighbor is not enough. It's not enough. Now it requires something else. Now we must proclaim what we know. Now we must talk about this God that we love. This God that we so desire to seek. Here's the thing. I think, I'm absolutely convinced that most Christians know a lot more stuff than they actually do, right? Um, let, let, me, let me put it this way. Um, a lot of times, let's say you're married and you, and you, get, in, you get into an argument, okay? Um, in the middle of the argument, 
don't you usually know what to do to make it right? Like, you just need to, okay, I need to shut up and say sorry. But you just keep pushing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know what you should do, but you just want to keep going. And a lot of times I think that's what happens in Christianity, is we know what we should do. We know what God's called us to, but we just choose not to act on it because maybe some of us lack boldness. Or maybe some of us get into the side of like, well, I, I just, I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. But Jesus actually go as, goes as far as commissioning us to go, to talk about this knowledge, to talk about this love that we have received. And in Matthew 28, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I want to take this passage and bring it to life. Because I think sometimes in church, a lot of times we hear the same verses over and over and they can become dead to us. Hopefully this morning that this is something you see the Great Commission in a completely different light. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. How many of you guys have just walked through your relationship with Jesus and you see God all, do all these great things and at one moment you're like, is he going to actually do that for me again? You ever doubt? Okay, that's what's going on right now. And some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's be clear. In this verse, what does Jesus say? Go make disciples. Now, what does he back it up with? He says, all authority has been given to me. Does he say some authority? No. All authority has been given to Jesus. And I want to paint this picture for you when we're talking about all authority. When Jesus is saying all authority is given to me, he's talking about this grand authority. He's saying all authority. I have all authority over the universe. All authority over the world. All authority over cancer, over sickness, over death, over whatever it is. All authority. So when we go, when he's commissioning us to go, we have to know that we can rest in this authority that Jesus is allowing us to have. Not only do you have the authority to carry out this mission, but this is the most comforting part. He promises to be with us. So he says, hey, if you're going to begin to proclaim the good news, if you're going to talk about what Jesus is doing in your life, not only do you have the authority to do it, but I'm also going to be with you. I'm also going to be with you. Now, I understand sharing our faith for many people in here can be scary. Some of us lack um, boldness. Uh, let, let me give you an example, and I've used this example before. I don't know if I've ever told the story here, but um, when my wife and I were dating, um, we used to drive back and forth. I lived in Lafayette, she lived in Jennings, and we're driving back and forth, and uh, um, I'm, any like guys are just like speed demons in your cars, anybody in here? Raise your hand, you know you. Every single guy in here is. Well, so my wife gets this brand new car, and um, like brand new, okay? And uh, it's a nice car, and I'm getting in it, and in Jennings they have this, uh, this, this light, or this, this road kind of, it's flat, and it makes this hump. And this is a V8 engine. And I'm like, I gotta see what this baby has, you know? So we're driving, and I give everything, and whoa! Ramp up this thing, boom! And she's like, do you think my car's all right? Did you mess anything up? I'm like, maybe no, I do this all the time. It's fine. Well, she pulls into my driveway, and <laughs> the oil is, like, leaking out, okay? And she's like, do you think that's a big deal? And I know nothing about cars. I'm like, no, nah, it's probably nothing. It's fine. 
You know, so anyway, I tried to, long story short, I tried to fix it, and that didn't work because I'm not a mechanic. I had no idea what I was doing. So we're coming back. We're still driving the car around with this crack in the oil pan, basically, and we're coming back um, from Lafayette on our way back to Jennings, and the car starts to overheat, break down. And we pull over at this Waffle House where all things come to die. Go to Waffle House. That's where all things go to die. Um, if you want to know what hell looks like, go to Waffle House bathroom, all right? <laughs> um, so, so we're there, and it's the only place I have to pull in. If you work at Waffle House, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't think. Um, so we pull in, the car's overheating, and I'm like, let, let it, you know, let's let it cool down and sit there. And I remember we're eating, and I'm just wanting to enjoy this time, okay? I'm already kind of stressed out about the car. I'm, I'm convinced that I broke the car, which I actually did. Um, and so I'm sitting down here. It's probably like 12 o'clock in the morning. We're tired. We're sitting there. And this waitress comes up. And you ever notice when you have people that are serving you, you can just tell that they are having a bad day. And um, I could tell this lady's having a bad day. And I remember it was not like some audible voice or anything. But God just speaks to me. And he says, hey, I want you to tell this lady about me. And I want, her, I want you to, to give her the money in your wallet. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> Why? That's like, like, what do I say? Like, what do I go up to her and do? Like, hey, like, God? You know, that's kind of weird, right? Like, God wanted me to, because in my mind, I'm playing this all out. Like, I'm going to say, hey, God wanted She's like, dude, you're afraid. Get away from me, right? And so we're sitting down there, down, and this whole time my wife and I are talking, and I didn't tell my wife what was pressing on me. And so we eat, and we get up, and we walk out, and I remember just the Holy Spirit just convicting me and convicting me and convicting me. And I'm walking out. And I remember I'm like, I'm not, God, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry, it's not happening. I'm, I'm leaving. And, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but as soon as I walk out of the door, it's like just boom, heavy conviction. I'm like, oh, all right, fine. So I walk back to this lady, pull out, I think it was like a $20 bill. And I said, look, this is going to sound so weird. Um, and as soon as I pull out the, the $20, before I could say anything, the lady just starts breaking down crying. And I'm like, God, man. Wow, okay, um, are you serious? And so for the it wasn't like some super spiritual thing. It was just me being obedient, telling her that Jesus loved her, giving her some money, and going on my way. Now, I could have looked at this situation, and, and the reason I tell you this story is because of the fact that um, when most people think about sharing their faith and telling people about Jesus, they, they think that you just walk up to this person with all the confidence and all the boldness in the world, and you just like automatically proclaim Jesus and nothing, you're not scared at all. Like there's been many times where I felt like Jesus wanted me to do that, and I reluctantly do it. Like I scaredly do it. I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to say. So I lack boldness. And I think for, for many of us, we, we lack boldness. Or for many of us, we lack rejection. Or we fear rejection. We fear like, okay, if I actually open my mouth and say what I believe and I begin to tell people about Jesus, then what are they going to think? What are they going to say? But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to let Paul's words comfort you. And this comforts me every time I step on this stage and every time I have an opportunity to share Jesus with people. And he says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. Listen to this. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Basically saying, I didn't have any like cool words to say. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
I came to you in my weakness, and here's what he says, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's a strong verse, because you know why? You know why? It's saying this. If you're just willing to obey what Jesus is commissioning us to do, it doesn't matter the words you choose to say. It doesn't matter the fears that you have and how weak you may feel. The only thing that matters is that you preach Jesus and him crucified. That's it. So it may simply start off with you have no idea what to say, how to approach the conversation, and, and you want to talk to this coworker, but you're scared, and you just say, all right, I'm going to go for it. And the words that you choose to say do not matter. If you're willing to be obedient to God's word, he will use you. He will use you. Some of the times that I have stood up here on this stage and many other stages and I get off and I'm like, that was the worst message I ever preached. That was awful. And as soon as I get off, people are like, my life has changed. I'm like, how did you get anything out of that? That was terrible. Awful. And, and you know why people can say that? Because it wasn't me. It's just my obedience to come up here and go, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to communicate what you're wanting me to say, and hopefully people's lives are changed. And when I step up here, it's not resting on me. It's all on God. It's all on God. I, I have no ability to change anybody's heart in here. None whatsoever. My, my only aim in here is to point you to Jesus, and then God will change your heart, and God will change your desires and your motivations and your affections. Here's the truth. The distinguishing work of a true Christian is not sinless perfection. It's not sinless perfection. It's proceeding. The mark of a Christian is not sinless perfection. It is just, just move. Just go somewhere. Do something. So some of you, listen, maybe you've known Jesus for two months, three months, four months. That is the best time to share Jesus. You know why? Because you're the most passionate. Because you were once, you were just so depressed or destroyed or, or whatever. And God begins to turn you around. And now you have a story to tell. Here's the truth. When you're talking with people and you want to share Jesus with people, and like, this, like Matthew 28 says, like go into all the world, make disciples. If you want to do that, here's what you've got to learn to do. You've got to learn to be vulnerable. People are more impressed by your brokenness and you're willing to be open than they are by your covering up. Like, it is so much easier for me to connect with you guys in here when I share my pain with you, right? Because people are going, okay, I see what you've walked through and you are normal, I know, okay, right? Instead of me just going, man, I get up at six o'clock in the morning, I read the Bible and I never miss a beat and I do all these things and, people, and you sit in the audience and you just go, great, that's great, I can never be that. That's how everybody else is. When you talk to them, when you break down that barrier, when you share Jesus with them, you first start with your pain. Start with your hurts, start with your struggles. That's easy to talk about, right? Sometimes it's hard to be open, but people are more impressed when you're willing to just go, hey, listen, dude, I was a wreck too, man. I was broken too. My marriage was jacked up. I was hurt, and I was right where you were at, but God came and changed me. Let me tell you that story. 
So it's changing the perspective of how we view it. You don't have to walk in. I think what many of us are looking for is we're looking to get on this pinnacle of spirituality. Like I've got to reach this mountaintop before I can ever tell people about Jesus. Right? Like I've got to be up here. I've got to be all super holy. And I've got to talk about all these things. And I've got to know all these things. If you're waiting to reach that point, you'll never get on the train. Ever. You'll never do it. Because here's the thing. You'll never reach that point. Here's what I love about all the disciples. They talked about Jesus and they proclaimed Jesus on the mountaintops and in the valleys. Paul's in jail, getting beat. And he's still talking about Jesus. The passion that I desire to have is one story that has always just, when I read it in scriptures, it's just kind of like this awe factor. Um, you have this story of Paul, he's preaching. And they literally beat him and kill him. And they drag his body to the outside of the city and they drop him off. And God raises him back to life. Now let me just pose a question to you. If somebody in a city just beat you and killed you, do you think you would go back into that city? Probably not. Like, I, I don't think I would, honestly. And Paul goes, hmm. I'm going to go walk back in that city, and I'm going to go preach. And you know what happens? Instead, they're like, dude, we can't kill this guy. Like, who? I thought we just killed this guy. What the heck is going on? That's the kind of passion that we need to have. That's the kind of passion that we need to aspire towards. Listen, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be failures. There's going to be times when you want to go share your faith with other people, and you're just going to blow up. You're just going to say all the wrong words, and it's not going to make any sense. And they're like, what were you talking about? Like, I don't even know what you were saying. That's okay. But the more and more that we do it, the further and further along that we get, and the more experience that we get in doing it. Here's the deal. The Great Commission is not optional. It's not optional. It's not something that we can just read in the Bible and say, yeah, that's great. But I choose not to do it. It says, go into all the world. I'm going to simplify. Go into all the world and tell people about Jesus. It's not enough just to simply come sit in church and get more knowledge about Jesus. The real question now becomes, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? The Great Commission does not require two separate lives. It requires one life. Meaning this. Your life should be all about ministry. You can't compartmentalize it. Like this is my job. This is my family. And then this is kind of like my Jesus stuff. We don't get the luxury of doing that. It all should blend together. So let me give you an example. Like... You work offshore. Awesome. God's called you to work offshore. You, like, you do that to the best of your ability. But that's your mission field. Like when you walk into that place, it should be, okay, God, he doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't know Jesus, and ultimately these people are dying and going to hell, and you have placed me in this place to tell them about Jesus. So here's the deal. It's not an, by accident that you're in these certain environments that you're in. 
It's not by accident that you're on the rig. It's not by accident that you're driving a truck with somebody else that doesn't know Jesus. That's not coincidence. God chose to save you, and now he places you with other people that don't know Jesus. Now we have the opportunity to share our faith. And here's the thing. Remember, 1 Corinthians, it's not about how well you communicate. It's are you willing to obey? Are you willing to obey? 2 Corinthians 4, um, 13 through 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, this is Paul, he says, I believed, and what happens? So I spoke. I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, and that's the best part of all, to the glory of God. To the glory of God. He said, I believed, so now I speak. I know about Jesus. I know about this crazy love that he has for me. And now I talk about it. And now I'm compelled to go and to share Jesus with this community, with this workplace, with my neighbors. Wherever I'm at, I am compelled into action. The Great Commission is great because the end result is God being glorified. I don't know if you know this, the sole reason that you're here on this earth is to bring glory to Jesus. That's it. That is it. The sole reason you are on this earth is to bring glory to Jesus. Many of us in here are not satisfied with our lives, and maybe we're just like, God, what, what's going on? John Piper says it this way, we are most satisfied, God is most satisfied with us when we are most satisfied with him. So when you find all your delight and all of your joy comes from Jesus and you understand that your sole aim is bringing glory to God, like, you get joy. That emptiness, that, that dissatisfaction that you have when your sole aim is to bring glory to God, you get joy. Believing the gospel should automatically lead to speaking the gospel. Believing the gospel should automatically lead to speaking the gospel. So here's the thing that we, we've all got to test ourselves in. If you believe the gospel and have zero desire to speak it, I think you've got to ask yourself a few questions. One, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Like if I have no desire to spread the gospel, no desire to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, ask yourself that question first. Do I really know Jesus? Number two, are, is there just fear? Is there doubt? Are we caught up in the American dream that we're suffocating what we should really be doing? See, the, miss, the mission of Jesus is an upside-down way of living. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Jesus says the first shall be last. The last shall be first. He says if you want to become the greatest, then you've got to become the least. It says crazy things like love your enemies.
I think a lot of times what happens to many of us, some of us, or should I say some of us, the reason that we don't have a desire to proclaim the gospel or a desire to um, talk or speak about Jesus is because we are more passionate about our own desires and our own passions than we are about the desires and the passions of Jesus. And the reason that I said earlier, I think many of us get caught up in the American dream, um, I don't think that I could say it any better um, than uh, John Piper says it this way, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says it this way, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the North, Northeast five years ago, when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof of the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let, the, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to the Creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the, day, at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. A people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. So, so, so what is he saying? So many people get wrapped into what they want and what they desire. That they lose sight of what God wants and what God desires. He's saying like, okay, you're one and only God-given life. Do you really want to waste the last 20, 30 years that you have doing absolutely nothing? Or do you want to say, listen, I'm going to give it everything I have because I understand that there are still billions, yes, billions of people that do not know Jesus. Billions. Um, this is a fact right here. It is estimated that of 7.1 billion people alive in the world today, 2.91 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2.91 billion. You know what unreached people groups mean? That means that they have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't even have access to it. Like, none. So there, there's, there's missionaries that churches are empowering all over the globe to go to unreached people groups because they've never even had the opportunity to hear Jesus. I mean, we live in a culture where, I mean, you can't go anywhere without hearing Jesus. It's, it's everywhere, right? It might be skewed of what people actually think following and loving Jesus is, but you know. We're talking about groups who have never seen the Bible, who have never seen uh, or never heard the name Jesus. There's still billions and billions of people that do not know Jesus. And you have to consider this. God so graciously chose you. He gave you this beautiful thing called salvation. And how selfish do you think it would be for us to just hold on to it when there are billions of people that are dying? And to be quite honest, if they don't hear about the name of Jesus, we'll go to hell. God has called you. You are not in this church to remain comfortable. Like, there's, I, can, I can look at many, many people across this room. 
and, and see before you were a part of this church that you weren't serving and loving Jesus, and now you're part of this church, you're serving and loving Jesus. It's not so that you can just come and soak it all up on Sunday mornings. It's so that you can get out of this room and tell people about this great God and what he's done for you about Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. My dad this, said this years ago when he started battling cancer. He said, you know what? If I'm not dead, I'm not done. <laughs> if I'm not dead, I'm not done. And some of you, you know, you may, maybe you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. And you're going, man, I missed it. I didn't know Jesus for so long. Listen, you got it now. You're not dead. You're not done. Like, move forward. Stop wallowing in the fact that you missed it. Okay? Rejoice in the fact that God chose to save you right where you are right now. There's a reason for that. So he's placed you where you are right now to begin to talk about Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but if each and every single person in here can begin to proclaim the name of Jesus, in some way, shape, or form, you get a part to be a part of global missions. And you're saying, how in the world does that work? Well, let me give you a little example. Let's just say you lead your neighbor to Jesus. Okay? God uses you to lead your neighbor to Jesus. Now, this neighbor leads their coworker to Jesus. Okay, well, this coworker is married to someone who lives, her, her, her family's from China. So she leads her mother to Jesus, and she goes back to China and leads other, you get the process here? It can go on and on and on. It's the same concept. Jesus led 12 men. He said, follow me. 12 men are the reason that you're sitting in this room today. 12 men are the reason that you know the gospel and that you have heard the name of Jesus. Because they were willing to give every single thing that they had to the sake, for the sake of Christ. He took 12 men and they changed the world. Pastor Jacob said this, says this all the time. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Listen, it may be scary. It may be intimidating. You may have all these fears, but you never know what's on the other side of that. Like that family member that you're thinking of right now, of going like, yeah, if I talk to they're never going to come to know Jesus. You're going, it's, it's impossible. But you never know what's on the other side of that. What if God just so graciously decides to save them? And then you get to be a part of that journey. You know what the most exciting thing in the faith is? And I promise you that you won't burn out and you won't get bored in Christianity. It's just seeing people come to know Jesus. You know what fuels my wife and I to, cons to want to stay here? Is all the stories that God's doing in and through you guys. Like if, if it was just the day in and day out routine of us just showing up here and me just preaching every Sunday and then going home and doing it. Like I wouldn't want anything to do with this. It's the fact that God's working and God's moving and God's changing people. That's what's so exhilarating about it. That's what's so exciting. If you're bored in your relationship with Jesus right now, then I, I, my encouragement would be to you to leave this place when this is over and go, God, give me the boldness. Give me the strength to begin to proclaim your name to people. It's the most exciting thing in the world to proclaim Jesus and then when you see God actually work 
in somebody else's life, knowing that you had an opportunity to be a part of that. So, how should we respond to all of this? How should we respond to everything that I just talked about? Number one, I think we need to pray. I think we really need to pray. We really need to go, God, is there a disconnect in my heart? Is there a reason that I, I can't do this? Do I really know you? Do I really love you like I say that I do? Or is it simply, God, is the reason that I'm not doing this, is the reason I'm not proclaiming, is it just simply sin? Are there some things that we need to repent of? We need to pray. We need to ask Jesus. Because listen, I, I don't want this message. And the, Sometimes the reason I, I don't like talking about stuff like this, I have to because the Bible talks about stuff like this, so I'm going to always talk about it. But I think sometimes if you're not careful, what you can do is you walk out of these rooms and you just kind of feel guilty that you haven't done it. So you're going to go, okay, because Pastor Zach is talking about it, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to go try this. But you're not really passionate about it. So that's why I say you need to pray first. And say, God, help me get on board. <laughs> help me get on board. Like, help me to be passionate about what you're passionate about. Help me to desire what you desire. Don't do something just because I told you to. Because that won't work. That'll, that'll, that'll last, like, willpower will last for like a week or two, and then it, it dies really quickly. Number two. So number one, pray. Number two, give. Give. Give of your time. Give of your talent. Give of your money to what God's doing. So that might be giving here. That might be simply seeing somebody in need, like the example that I said earlier at Waffle House. Like, it might just, God might call you to give something. Number three, the part that we all love. Now go. <laughs> Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, go. You know, sometimes, honestly, you ever start a new job and you're intimidated the day that you get there because you don't know what you're going to do, but you just kind of got to go for it. And the more that you ease yourself into it, the more comfortable that you get, right? I want to conclude with this. Just one thought. Are you willing to be a blank check? Are you willing to be a blank check? What do I mean by that? I mean this. Are you willing to allow God to redirect and rearrange your life at the drop of a hat? Are you willing to say, God, I am so in. I am so willing to serve you with my life that whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. If you tell me to give of my money, I'll do it. If you tell me to move and go somewhere else and talk about you, I will do it. Are you willing to redirect at any moment? Are you willing to be a blank check to say, God, you have full access, full authority, full everything to my life, and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. God, I'll lose my, my pride. I'll face my fears. I'll face my anxieties, all for the sake of bringing you glory. Are you willing to be a blank check? Here's what I've learned over the years. I have allowed my personality to keep me from obeying. That kid that I showed you, <laughs> that picture, like what you didn't see, that's like a real smile. See, what I didn't know in that picture is, is that my mom was about to like make me get on that bus. And, and like the next thing was like, Aah! 
Like for weeks, my mom hated bringing me to school. I'm not kidding. Like she would be, she started driving me. I wouldn't get on the whole time on the bus. I would just scream, yell. Where she would drop me off in the classroom and kid you not, I was holding on the door, kicking, punching, screaming, everything I could do. I did not want to go in that classroom. Why? I could, I was petrified around people. I was so shy. And as I got older, it didn't just go away. I didn't just like, oh, I'm not shy anymore. It was still there. And I had to learn to face those fears. And I remember the, one of the first things that I had to do, I was in uh, ninth grade, my freshman year of high school. And I've always loved writing. And I wrote this speech. And uh, my teacher read it. And she's like, this is incredible. I want you to present it in front of the whole school. And I was like, no, I'm just a writer. I don't speak. <laughs> She's like, no, I think you need to present it in front of the whole school. And I remember for weeks I'd show up at school, my stomach is a notch, just turning and flipping and going, oh my God. And, and here's the thing I could have allowed my personality, like that naturally kind of want to be drawn back, want to be shy, want to be introverted, keep me from the calling that God had for me. Or I had to make a decision and go, okay, I'm going to face these fears. And allow God to build confidence in me. And that's what's happened. Now I can stand on this stage without, I'm not shaking, there's no jitters, there's nothing. It's God, it's not me. It's God. It's me being willing to be obedient to Jesus and say, okay, God, I'll give it a shot. If you're with me, just like the Great Commission said, if you're with me, then I'll do it. And that's what you've got to remember. He's with you. You may be scared, you may be fearful, you may be doubtful, but He is with you. Man, if the God of the universe goes beside you, then here's the thing. You can't fail. Like, if God is on your side, it is impossible to fail. It's impossible to fail. So I close with this thought. I want every single person in here to leave with this. Meditate on this. Are you willing to be a blank check? Are you willing to redirect your life? No matter, I don't care if you're 60, 70, 80 years old, are you willing to redirect if God calls you to? Are you willing to redirect? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, I pray that this morning, God, this would not just be a message of just guilt and us having to get out of here and say, okay, I'm not doing all these things, so now I need to go do them. But God, I pray that we would walk out of here encouraged, we would walk out of here convicted. God, and deeply moved just to pursue you. And God, in that pursuit of you, God, you give us that passion and that desire to want to proclaim your name. God, help us to be bold. God, help us to face our fears. God, help us to face rejection and intimidation. God, I pray that those would not be the things that hold us back. In Jesus' name.